Hey, welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. My guest today is Matthew Thee, and he is the director of the Touch for Health system. It is a powerfully effective approach utilizing applied kinesiology through techniques of Chinese meridian balancing, touch reflex points, emotional stress release, neurolymphatic points for pain relief, biofeedback, and much, much more. Matthew's father, the late Jonathan Thee, pioneered this work as a chiropractor and a true wayfarer, and together they co-wrote the foundational textbook, Touch for Health, A Practical Guide to Natural Health with Acupressure Touch. I should say Matthew is also my mentor in this work and has helped me greatly And I use this method with my clients, and I have seen tremendous success with helping them usher forth greater healing and wellness. So I'm so happy and I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast. Matthew Thee, the legend, is here. Thank you, Diane. I'm happy to be here and geek out with you with some kinesiology and spirituality. Amen. Mm. I love it. Well, um, thank you for leading us all down the kinesiology landscape uh, terroir. So, um, well, let's just jump right in. For those that perhaps don't know what energy kinesiology is or apply kinesiology, and, um, and just talk about the roots, if you would, of kinesiology where and when it started. We could go back, I guess, to the early 1900s and up to the uh, 1980s and beyond. Well, the term kinesiology has different definitions. For some people, for an energy kinesiology, when they're talking about the kinesiology part, they're mostly talking about using the muscles to test the muscle response as an indication of maybe an imbalance in the posture or an imbalance in the energy system or an indication of um, something that might be involved where there's a block or where there might be something that would help. So an emotion that that would be a positive emotion or a negative emotion to diffuse. In academic terms, you're saying going back to the early 1900s, it's it's really just the muscle mechanics. So um, when you mentioned applied kinesiology, George Goodhart, the founder of Applied Kinesiology, took his muscle testing from Kendall and Kendall. And their their textbook is still used in the university for uh, muscle testing and function. So it's just actually the mechanical function of the muscle. But George Goodhart also found that muscles that might appear to be weak or have some dysfunction, when you just physically massage the muscle or any number of other um, interventions with the person can change their response. And a muscle that previously appeared weak can spontaneously regain its full strength. 
which was a big discovery for him. That wasn't anywhere in the kinesiology textbooks. Previously, it was more like for physical therapy, let's assess where there's damage to a muscle and we can do some rehabilitation or maybe even surgery. And he found that there's a lot of muscles that behave as if weak, but aren't really weak. There's some imbalance. Being a chiropractor, George Goodhart, first of all, was looking at the neurological model is there alignment in the spine and in the posture? And if that's out of alignment, that might be interfering with the communication, the innate intelligence in the body. And this might be causing the muscles to behave as if weak or have like the information or energy or nerve signal blocked to that muscle so it doesn't have its optimum function. Mm. So we could say there's something called academic kinesiology. So that's more body mechanics. Then there's something called applied kinesiology. That's George Goodhart, a chiropractor who started using muscle testing to initially see, well, where are the muscles not developed enough to keep the posture in a good alignment? And he right away discovered through hands-on palpation that there are muscles behaving as if weak and causing an imbalance in the posture, but we can do an immediate intervention and bring the posture back into alignment. So from a chiropractic standpoint, if your spine's in line, you'll feel fine. So to find a muscle test and then a way to touch, maybe directly on the muscle, but later he found other reflexes like the acupressure system that could switch the muscles back on and immediately bring the posture back into balance. So that was a fantastic leap. As a chiropractor and doing chiropractic adjustment and other factors that, that affect the posture, he was already getting great results with his patients. But when he brought in the muscle testing and the touch reflexes, it brought it to another level. Hmm. <clears throat> Can you talk about, because Touch for Health pulls from, I believe, Alan Birdall's um, work, where he talks about the human body being a biocomputer and how the subconscious appears to process information or input in a binary way. Like if the muscle locks, then we're in balance. If the muscle doesn't lock, it, there's uh, too much stress. So can you elaborate on that and what that well, means? Alan Beardall was another chiropractor for, out of Oregon. And uh, he was one of the original, what they called the dirty dozen. There are actually more than a dozen of them. But it was a group of physicians who studied with George Goodhart, studied the discoveries and the innovations he was making in the uh, mid-60s, really, is when that was all beginning with George Goodhart. And your dad all, was one of the uh, dirty dozen, wasn't he? My father also, John Thee, was one of the dirty dozen. Yes, sure. worth mentioning. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll get to him, I'm sure. But Alan Beardall was really a brilliant guy and really was very detailed in his development. So where George Goodhart might start out with a set of 42 muscles and then some other muscles eventually learn more. Alan Beardall, once he learned about muscle testing, he had to learn how to muscle test basically every muscle in the human body. Mm -hmm. And he developed a lot of different ideas that to this day in what you call energy kinesiology, which is a a whole other field that kind of grew out of applied kinesiology and Touch for Health, which was the program my father put together, and I helped him with the 2005 update, 30-year update of that book. Um, there's a lot of those techniques from Alan Beardall that are still very much in use today in that whole field, but more based on the energetic model. So before I get to Alan Beardall, let's jump back to George Goodhart. One of the types of touch reflex that he developed, you mentioned the neurolymphatics. So those are from, uh, I believe, a naturopath by the name of 
Bennett or um, Chapman and Chapman's reflexes were a set of points where we find these tender points, it might be related to different aspects of the physiology, different organ functions. And then when you massage the points, you had improvement in those related types of conditions. But Goodhart then mapped those points back to the muscles. So when he tested a particular muscle, he knew which of those reflex points to rub to improve the function of the muscle. Similarly, there's a set of reflex points called Bennett's reflexes, but those are more light holding points and related more to the vascular system. So we call them neurovascular points. And then, so Goodhart started collecting these different types of sets of reflex points, both directly on the muscle and other points, not by the muscle. And then he came across some points in Chinese medicine that also had a physiological relationship. There's an energy pathway and points along that pathway. And the pathway has a name of a particular organ and it's related to that function in the organ, but in the, in the whole human body, because it's more systemic in Chinese medicine, everything working together as a system, not so much each organ just doing things individually, which of course we know that is how biology works. So he started integrating the points from Chinese med medicine is acupressure as one of the ways to switch on muscles and one of the factors of imbalance in, in spinal alignment. But then that's when my father came along and said, wow, that's really great. All these things, muscle testing, massaging these points, they're quite simple, quite quick, and for the most part, very safe. And my patients are already stealing these techniques from me and using them at home. If I rubbed a sore point between their ribs on the front of the chest, and they said, wow, that's sore, but my neck feels better. They remember that, they go home, and if their neck is sore again, they rub the points again, and they can take care of themselves. So he said, we need a program for lay people for self-care. And that was at the beginning of the Touch for Health program. And mm. Touch for Health was based on the holistic idea of we want to balance all the muscles to get the posture in alignment. So the spine's in line and you have all that neurological communication or what in chiropractic, in the early roots of chiropractic, they called innate intelligence, that there's this vast innate intelligence in the body. And what we really need to do is get out of the way and just support the body to come into its proper balance so the innate intelligence can function. Mm -hmm. And that innate intelligence, of course, is also thought to be connected to the universal intelligence. So there's a great wisdom resource that we always have access to and not beyond our individual bodies, but it's connected to an internal wisdom in our body. So that holistic model was part of the touch for health, balancing the muscles. But because this was for lay people and not physicians who are licensed to diagnose diseases and they don't have the training to do that, we need to really make sure we were in a just a holistic balancing model and not a diagnosis and treatment model. So from Chinese medicine, we also taught, took the balancing model. In Chinese medicine, what I think is like the highest concept is keeping your life energy in balance, and that will automatically give you vitality and enjoyment and enthusiasm in life, and of course, health. And when that life energy is out of balance, then you start to experience some symptoms and eventually some disease. Mm -hmm. So that's why they call it energetic kinesiology. All of the different systems that developed since that time from Touch for Health uh, have the Chinese model of energy balance as part of the program. So it's more about balancing the posture and the energy rather than diagnosing conditions and treating conditions. Yeah, beautifully put. Um, 
that makes me think of another aspect of this work that I think is really vitally important. And um, you talk about it a lot, how this work really puts the authority back on the person with this self-responsibility model where this work is what you call vitalistic as a vitalistic approach. And um, could you go into a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, and that's in the roots of chiropractic, vitalism was one of the main concepts. And the idea of vitalism is that you have within you this intelligence, but not just an intelligence, but a life force. And there's a life force within the human body, which which automatically creates the, all of the structures in the body for it to function well. And that's what you have when you're alive and you don't have when you're not alive. And in science, it has a long history in Western science, the concept of a life force or vitalism. But in large part, it's kind of been put aside as biology understands more and more about the chemistry and so forth. And they don't use as much the concept that the human being has a life force in it. But it was very much at the roots of chiropractic. I recently read an article, though, I was looking up and I said, well, in chiropractic, what does vitalism mean? And the first article I came upon was an article that said, well, in modern scientific chiropractic, the concept of vitalism is actually an impediment. It's, a, it's an anachronism and obsolete, and it's an impediment to the professionalization of chiropractic to make it look more like the standard medical professions. Huh. Which for me was, hmm, I think perhaps we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater and losing kind of, for, it's for me at least, from me growing up as a son of a chiropractor, the central idea of it is we want to keep the life force flowing, we want to keep the life force in balance, and that's what will naturally create health. You know, the natural posture is an upright, balanced posture. If you stand up and just feel relaxed and there's some imbalance, it means there's some imbalance in the body and there's something we can help to balance. It, you, we shouldn't be having to make some special Herculean effort to keep our shoulders back and our head upright. In the same way, our natural state is health. Our natural state is vitality. If you're not having lots of energy and enthusiasm for life, if you're feeling down and not full of vitality, it means so we can look for what can we do to balance it. So um, that's an idea in chiropractic vitalism, but it's also the main concept in Chinese medicine, the idea that you have a life force or called the qi, the life energy. And when that energy is flowing in the body and in the proper balance, of course, that creates health and vitality and long life. But it's when there's an interference in that flow that it starts to create dysfunction and then ultimately disease. And uh, then getting back to your question, there's one other tradition um, that Touch for Health specifically draws on that is a little bit less emphasized, but perhaps the most important tradition, which is, is, and it's also kind of a vitalistic approach in psychology. It might be called positive psychology or maybe a little bit more specifically person-centered psychology. Right. And that's the idea where, you know, in mental or emotional conditions, psychological conditions, it's actually um, more important to listen to the person and help them to express themselves than to figure out what's wrong with them, make a diagnosis, tell them how they need to fix and live their life and, you know, do a treatment on them. Right. So Carl, Carl Rogers is the one who's kind of 
credited, at least in, in my learning, with this concept of person-centered or client-centered therapy. And his main uh, technique was to simply listen to the person. And by listening to them and feeding back what they're saying, but not just the facts, but the emotions and the personal meaning, he found that people actually spontaneously resolve their own problems. Right. So it becomes a very empowering approach. And it's not really so much empowering because I give you power. It's empowering because I stop taking away your power. I don't try to take over for you. I don't try to judge you or advise you. And it's some, you might think, well, how is that any kind of a psychologist? If you're not counseling me, if you're not giving me advice, if you're not telling me what's wrong with me and what I need to do, and you're just listening, but actually he found that was a much more efficient and much more enjoyable way to work with human beings. Yeah. And, and then again, it comes back to that vitality concept because if you think about that approach, he's saying if you have the problem, whatever it is, psychological or even physiological, it's your problem. Who knows more about that problem and who has more resources to solve it? It's that person who has all the resources. So if you just respect the person and accompany them on their own process of self-discovery, they spontaneously resolve not only psychological issues, but often the physiological issues. And it's just trusting that within the person, if they have the problem, they also have the inner resources to resolve that problem for themselves. Yeah, and as you may know, um, with spiritual psychology and my training uh, as a spiritual psychologist, Carl Rogers is a big part of that work. And one of the things we do in our training is to be both the neutral observer and in a trio and be a, a facilitator. And one of the foundational um, approaches, I should say, in spiritual psychology is to have or apply heart-centered listening. And you could spend an entire counseling session maybe saying three sentences to that client and they'll say to me, oh my God, thank you so much. You, you helped me so much. And I'm thinking in my, you know, my ego, I didn't even say anything, but I applied heart-centered listening where I gave them the floor to work things out for themselves and allow them to make those organic connections so that they could um, unravel and unearth the answers that were just underneath the, uh, the terrain there of their consciousness. So it's incredibly empowering. And I find this work very synonymous with spiritual psychology, um, not just because of the Carl Rogers person-centered, but the whole holistic approach which I love. And maybe we'll go into that um, even more. And maybe a good segue on that is even just talking about in its holistic approach, <clears throat> we recognize that we are not just this physical body, but we are an energy. We are a multiple dimension. We are a multiple dimensional being, right? And, um, and in yoga, we talk about meridians. We talk about nadis. We talk about um, there being seven, uh, well, we should say 72,000 nadis that they talk about. 
And in Chinese medicine, we could say the nadis are the meridians. And those that study Ayurveda or yoga, they're familiar with the nadi system. And those that even take it further may know that there's not just seven energy centers, but there's actually 114 chakras. Um, most people may be familiar with the seven, but not familiar with the fact that there's actually 21 major chakras and 86 micro chakras. And the reason I'm bringing this up is to make a point that we're energy first and matter second. And um, you said something once in a training that I wrote down and you said function creates form. So in Chinese medicine, the meridian is more important than the organ because the meridian is the template of the form. And I was kind of setting you up to give me your um, example or your description of why the meridian sort of overrides or is more important than the organ from this parlance. And um, that's what you said, and it just really stuck with me. So maybe we could just elaborate on that factoid that <laughs> energy yeah. comes before matter. Yeah, so you, you mentioned, I, thought, I think you mentioned the word template. And whether using the Ayurvedic or yogi view of the energy system or the Chinese medicine view of the energy system, there is a lot of difference in, in the details, but the general concept is quite similar. That And now, at first, when they started looking at reading the genome, they thought, okay, now we're going to know all the designs and how everything functions in the human being. And they found all the different elements of the genome, and they said, uh, something missing here. This is not enough information to figure out all the little details, and it doesn't tell you why the cells become a fingernail here, and they become skin on the finger over here, and over here it becomes a nose. It's just information how to build the little blocks of protein, but it's not how to organize a whole human being. It's not the, the blueprint of a house. It's just the building blocks of the house. So where is the design of the human being? Where is the design of living beings? And so I think the ancient idea is that the, the design is not in the physical body, but it's in the energy body. And there's all different other different concepts of what is the energy body. And it's fascinating to, to look at it from all the different perspectives. But like you were saying, in, in Chinese medicine, it's uh, the meridian energy flows. That's really what's creating, that's, that's the life energy that then creates everything else. So based on the functions of those energy flows, then the physical forms that are needed to fulfill those functions are created. So of course, there's a connection between the organs that have those physiological functions, but that's a function in the whole person as well. And it's a function of that type of energy flow. Because that function of a particular organ also has to be reflected in all the other organs that it works with. So in Chinese medicine, they talk about the, the five element model of energy. And that's just, it's quite simplified when you just look at the basics of it. And then of course, if you study deeper, there's more and more detail, just like in physiology. But it's just a model of how it's never just one organ acting on its own or even one energy pathway and that energy function in the body, but it's all the interactions of all the different energy flows in a harmonious balance based on what you're trying to accomplish on the day. Because what you're trying to do, if you're outside and trying to stay warm, 
your blood has to flow in a different way. Your energy has to flow in a different way. Your cells and everything have to reorganize themselves to keep within the homeostasis a correct amount of blood flow, a correct temperature in the body and so forth, that if that changes too much, you won't survive. Hmm. Well, let's talk about um, maybe the meridians and take it a little bit further and talk about how these meridians line up with certain muscle groups. So we could take maybe like the kidney meridian and how that can relate to the psoas, right? Iliacus, um, trapezius, am I right? Upper traps. Upper traps, there we go. And- um, Trapezius. (laughs) So, um, yeah, don't dock me for that one. No, no. (laughs) It it was a trapezius, so good. There we go. Um, But how, just if you could explain to the listeners how these muscles correlate with these meridians and how we can gain greater insight? Yeah, so from, from you know, my history in Touch for Health, my father being a chiropractor, his first goal is to balance the posture and get the spine into good alignment. But he wants to do it in a way that it's going to be more lasting, not just a temporary alignment. And then other things that are out of balance, just bring it right back out of balance. So by balancing the posture more thoroughly, it holds better and the spine stays in alignment. So where the meridians come up first in that purpose is just by working with a particular meridian, there seems to be a more close relationship to particular muscles. So like you mentioned, the psoas muscle, we relate in touch for health to the kidney meridian. So in practical terms, that means if there's some imbalance in the function of your psoas muscles, maybe on both sides, they're just low in energy. Or maybe one side is, has, has its full energy, but the other one not. That's going to create a different type of imbalance. So first of all, we put it through its mechanical range of motion, the contraction of that muscle. We apply some pressure and see how the muscle responds. And if it's easy to hold, it kind of locks in place. We call that strong, so to speak, but it's not necessarily the physical strength. It's just the neurologically, it can organize a response and easily hold in place. It's not painful, and there's energy there. But if not we can work with that related kidney meridian. So we can use the acupuncture points of the kidney meridian, or actually, since it's a pathway that flows on the surface of the body, we can just trace our hands along the meridian pathway in the normal direction of the flow. It's kind of amazing. You don't even have to be touching the physical body because an energy pathway goes at least two or three inches beyond the body. So as long as you're within two or three inches tracing this particular pathway, you tend to facilitate that energy flow and you can immediately see a change in the function of the related muscle. Mm -hmm. So you switch these muscles on and you end up switching on whichever muscles are needed to balance out the posture. But at the same time, your muscles are now indicating, oh, if the muscle related to kidney was out of balance and we needed to do something to balance the kidney meridian to balance the muscle, I guess energetically, there was an imbalance in kidney. So then we can start using the muscles to also indicate what is the energy pattern. And we can balance one muscle at a time and just bring in the energy to balance the muscle, but we can also be observing, oh, if these are the muscles out of balance, then this is where the energy's out of balance. So we can make an assessment of the overall energy and perhaps, you know, using some basic concepts from Chinese medicine, five element relationships, find one point that will balance the whole system, kind of like in an ideal acupuncture session, 
you find what's going on with the energy, maybe just one acupuncture point balances the whole system. Mm. So that's the relationship goes both ways in applied kinesiology and touch for health. Primarily, we find out how can we use the energy system to balance the muscles and the posture. But then we realize, oh, but the muscles and the posture are always indicating what's happening with the energy. So it's an assessment tool and balancing tool also for the life energy, the chi. Right. And off of that, we could perhaps go a bit deeper and talk about these assessment tools like one that I love so much, which is the metaphorical um, approach using working with metaphors in the touch for health system, which I use all the time, every day, almost with people. And it really helps people to, um, to uh, break apart the sort of stuckness that they're in so that they can um, get more um, insight into how they are running themselves, if you will, in life. So maybe we could talk about the metaphorical system in Touch for Health and how we use this language, this emotional language to assist us in moving our energy so that we can upgrade our lives and come into greater wellness. Because to me, it's a very um, effective approach in this system. Yeah, so that's the perfect moment to start to talk about the metaphors, because as soon as we start testing a muscle that we say is related to an organ, we hear the name kidney, and we know that's a physiological organ. It's a physical package of cells, and it has certain functions that's known in science. But then we're saying, well, okay, just because the related muscle it doesn't seem to have its optimum performance right now is not a diagnosis of disease of the kidney. Right. There may or may not be disease of the kidney, and that may or may not be affecting those related muscles. So we can't say that, especially if we don't have the license to do that diagnosis. So to, just to stay legally safe, we want to stay away from that, but also it's just not accurate. So, but people want to know, oh, this muscle doesn't have its full strength. What does that mean? What's wrong with me? And if I say, well, it's related to kidney, they might right away say, oh, does that mean there's something related to your kidney? My kidney? Something wrong with my kidney? And all I can really say is, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But what I can tell you is energetically, the kind of energy that we relate more to this muscle function is something that we would call kidney. But it's more a metaphorical concept of this type of function in the whole body. Yes, the physical organ kidney is kind of an expression of that type of energy, that type of function, but it's not the whole picture. So as you mentioned, metaphor, uh, one definition is it's the emotional language. So it might be just on an emotional language, you have an imbalance related to, quote, kidney energy. So in Chinese medicine, they have certain emotional relations to, to these organs. So um, kidney meridian is in the water element. And so the emotions, at least that we refer to in Touch for Health, related to kidney and water element is the emotion of fear and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So if you have an, uh, some imbalance that I just manually check in the muscles of the psoas, in the, the, that hip muscle, I could just simply ask as a question or uh, as a metaphor to contemplate, well, is there any fear or any anxiety that might be related to what's going on in your life? And we often set some kind of positive intention 
where we go through a whole conversation to set a specific positive goal statement. So in that case, you might see a different energy pattern related to what is the focus, what you're trying to accomplish, what is your positive intention or what is your goal statement. So then we would say, oh, if psoas is unlocking, it's related to kidney, meridian, water element, maybe related to your goal, there may be some issue of fear or anxiety. Does that ring a bell? Does that make any sense to you? And sometimes it has to do literally with that particular goal, or maybe they just say, oh, well, just in general in my life right now, I have some fear or I have some anxiety. Or they might say, no, that doesn't relate to me, but there is someone in my life, and it makes sense that that might be coming up, fear and anxiety. So it's not a diagnosis, oh, you got fear, you got anxiety, and you got to fix that. It's right. just something to contemplate symbolically and see where that information might fit into the picture and raise your awareness of what's going on. Yeah. And so first of all, it's just to satisfy the people of, well, what does it mean when this muscle's unlocking, when I have this energy imbalance? But then beyond that, we found out by playing with it metaphorically, contemplating what it might mean in a metaphorical term, it moves the energy. As you raise the awareness, the energy shifts, and that when energy is moving, then it naturally finds a balance. So when you go talk about the metaphor and people reflect on it, how does that relate to their life? And they have a, sometimes they have quite a profound insight in that moment, just reflecting on their life. You go back and check the muscle, and it has changed. It's easy to hold. The posture comes into a better balance. But on top of it, they've had some fun, and they have a better understanding of themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read something from the textbook here that I just love this little passage. And uh, if you feel like commenting on it, that'd be great. You wrote, each unique soul can be thought of as a set of metaphorical thermostats with the upper and lower limits set by our experiences and design. When we have been injured in any of the aspects of our soul in order to adapt we can set our thermostats to narrower limits and reduced sin waves, sin waves of functioning. Using muscle tests to determine imbalances is an effective way of changing the metaphorical thermostat setting to allow for a greater range of functioning, greater adaptability, and more quote unquote peak performances and quote-unquote personal bests. I just love that. Yeah. Well, I would just comment on that to maybe elucidate a little bit, well, what does that mean? Because there was a lot of interesting language in there that could be interpreted different ways. I would go back to the metaphor of the muscle itself. And when you're working with the muscle and you go through its range of motion, you're checking, well, how comfortable is, is it through the range of motion? Do you feel like you have the function? Is there some pain through the range of motion? Is there some restriction? And if for whatever reason we've been inhibited in our use of a muscle, maybe sitting at a desk a long time, if we haven't been going through our full ranges of motion, muscles start to get tight. They can actually shorten and it's going to take some work over time to lengthen and strengthen those muscles, I'm sure you know from yoga. So we can take the model of the muscle that we can check in on the muscle and see what's happening. Is it over tight? Maybe there's actually too much energy. It's tense. But one of the things that Goodhart found, it, and when he first started testing muscles and massaging the muscle, other reflexes points, and changing the function of the muscle, he found that often 
where you think it is, is where it ain't. In other words, the problem seems to be where there's an overtight muscle, where there's too much tension. So you hammer away at that, you know, you stab it with Botox, you do all these things to relax the muscle. But what he found is almost always there's one or more other muscles that are a little bit too relaxed in relation to that muscle. So the tight muscle is just trying to do its job and the other muscles aren't counterbalancing. So he would be finding these seemingly weak muscles and switch those on, and then the tight muscle kind of naturally relaxes back into its neutral tone. And so then you look at the, go through the range of motion again, and you find you have a greater range of motion and greater comfort. And so that gives you more amplitude of function in that physical way. But that can stand as a metaphor for what's happening in life. If you've had some experience in life where you were inhibited, where you were boxed in by rules, maybe family rules, maybe societal rules, you may or may not have even been aware of them. Sometimes just being aware, oh, that's a family rule. And, but now I'm an adult and I can choose whether that's the rule for me or not. You see people's shoulders just come back and their heads stand up and they say, Wow, now I'm free to choose. I have, I can go outside this box. Now I understand that it was a box and I have a choice. So now I have greater range of motion, freedom of action in my life. I have choice. And again, I think now that I come to that word choice, I think that's maybe when we talk about empowering people through just active listening, listening to what they have to say and, and helping their awareness or listening by checking the muscles and listening to what's happening to the energy and having them have an awareness of what's happening in their bodies and their posture and their energy. Ultimately, the most transformative aspect is that they come to the point where they see their choices in life, where they see the power that they already have to choose where, which way they want to go, to choose how they want to take care of themselves. And once they see that, that's half the job. Then they can just follow through. Mm. Can we go back for a minute and just uh, talk a bit about the Dirty Dozen mm -hmm. and how that term came about and how your father became a part of that um, clan, if you will, of wayfarers? Well, George Goodhart, I believe, I truly believe he was quite um, an astute uh, doctor of chiropractic in, in academic terms. He read very widely here, there, and everywhere. Kind of back from the era where you, in on a particular subject, you could kind of find everything that was written on it. You could almost know everything. Nowadays, with the explosion of information and the internet, there's no way you can know everything, even about one narrow topic. But he, anything that helped people to feel better, and especially if he saw where it might affect the posture, including nutrition, emotion, etc., he read about that. But then on top of that, he was a second generation chiropractor, and he absorbed a lot just by being in that atmosphere of a holistic practice, and he was quite intuitive. So he was really brilliant in um, coming up with synthesis of different techniques and applying them to the chiropractic approach. But then also just intuitively kind of finding, figuring out what was needed for the person in front of him in every given moment, in every given case. So he was constantly coming out with all these innovations and he wrote some articles and people, when they read his articles, they were, they were kind of like, wow, I never saw that before. That's interesting. Let me try it out. And they were getting amazing results. So he started gathering these people together. And I think 
either before or, you know, really early when he coined the term applied kinesiology, he had a group of people who wanted to know what he was learning. So he called them the good heart study group leaders. But there, and so they were study group leaders in the sense that they would study with him, but then they'd go back to wherever they were in the country and share out with other chiropractors or other physicians what he was, his newest, latest inter- innovations, and so they could use them in their community. So spreading out his knowledge, not just through articles, but through, he would ta- do cassette tapes sometimes once a week of what his latest findings were, mail them out to his study group leaders. They would gather their little brown bag lunch lecture people and listen to the tape, discuss it, and try it out. But the nickname for that group was the Dirty Dozen. And it was after, a, um, I used to think it was a cowboy movie, but I recently looked it up and it was actually a, a war movie. But the point being the Dirty Dozen were unorthodox practitioners. So in chiropractic at the time, they had the idea of there were straight chiropractors who only adjusted the spine. Maybe they only adjusted the cervical spine and they were straight. They didn't mix any other dirty stuff. They didn't mix in diet and nutrition. and They didn't mix in emotion and other reflex points and so forth. So, so the, the, the nice way of saying the other people were the mixed chiropractors, but the not so nice way to say they were the dirty chiropractors. <laughs> so they owned the term and they embraced it and said, well, we are total mixers. We mix in everything under the sun that we think is going to help balance the posture and get that innate intelligence functioning. So the life energy is going to naturally be creating the internal healing. So they call themselves just as kind of a, an affectionate nickname, the Dirty Dozen. Mm. Oh, I love that. You don't leave anything out, as you shouldn't. Um, that, that leads me to another aspect, I think, of the work where in one of our trainings, we talked a lot about the enteric brain, the second brain. And um, we would talk about um, if you can balance your thinking brain and your gut, Together, you will balance everything much more um, holistically. There will come into a much greater, we will come into a much greater state of wellness. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, there's a lot of books out now and more and more on the gut and the biome and what's going on in the gut. And they call it the second brain. But now there's lots of books out there about the third brain. Perhaps that's the heart and the fourth and many brain centers actually in the body. And the interesting thing about some of these other brains that do have the same type of neurology and biochemistry or neurochemistry that you would find in the brain in other parts of the body, a lot of these other organs or organ systems have more pathways communicating back to the brain that's in your cranium than the other way around. So traditionally, we have the idea that the the brain in your cranium is the command center and it's controlling everything. But it's interesting to think, yes, there's information coming from that central brain and the central nervous system, but there's more information going back the other way. So at a certain point, there could be more influence from the rest of the body on the brain function than of brain function on the rest of the body, potentially. But uh, when we talk about the gut in particular, you mentioned the idea that uh, metaphor can be the emotional language. And um, there's so many things going on in the gut. You know, we say we have gut feelings and then there's digestion. And because the digestion is bringing in all kinds of 
foreign matter and transforming it into an energy that we can use, it's also a huge element of our immune system. It's, you know, what doesn't help us, we need to be able to distinguish that and reject what's not beneficial and not absorb it and identify the things that are beneficial and absorb them. And that's a huge part of immune function. So, so many things going on in the gut. But I mentioned gut feelings and we talk about the, uh, the brain in our head, it has spoken language. That's one of its functions. The language of that brain, we can put our ideas in the words, that's its language. But the gut doesn't have spoken words, but the language of the gut is emotions. And I think it's, it's even if we haven't studied this, it's kind of intuitive that, oh yeah, a lot of emotional processing goes on in the gut. And if I'm having heavy emotions, I might not want to eat too heavily. I might not feel like eating at all. Or if I do eat, it, the, if I have emotional turmoil, I might also have digestive turmoil. So the, the emotional function is being processed a lot in the gut. The brain, of course, has its part in it, contributing ideas. We have these physical sensations from the body. And so when we work with metaphor, another idea of the metaphor is it's your, because it's an emotional language, you are speaking with words, like poetic words using metaphors. So you're speaking the language of the brain, the cranium, spoken language, which is kind of the meaning-making mechanism of the human being, conscious meaning, but you're also speaking the emotional language, so you're speaking the language of the gut. So if you're balancing with metaphors, you're kind of automatically working at the level of the conscious mind and kind of the unconscious functions going on with the emotions in, if we locate them in the gut. So you're kind of harmonizing the two things together. So the balance that's going to come out of that is going to be twice as powerful. Hmm. Now, during the past year, you taught some of us um, practitioners the um, approach to doing this, of course, at a distance because we're all in that lockdown state. And as a biofielder, working at a distance five days a week is no new thing. I'm usually seeing people at least 1,500 miles away uh, over Zoom. And um, when you showed us how to do this at a distance, of course, it was no surprise to me that it's just as equally as powerful. Um, That being said, I do want to stress that this work, um, the central principle, I should say, of this work, Touch for Health, is to encourage us to touch one another. Um, And we need that connection for our health and well-being. But could you explain just from your, um, using your words, how this works at a distance? How can I look at someone on Zoom, put them through some of these muscle tests, either as a surrogate or otherwise, and maybe explain that technique as well? How the heck does this work? Well, there's so much in the different aspects you just mentioned. Yes. The first thing I was thinking about, you know, how if you're doing energy work, it's no big leap of faith to say that you can do energy work at a distance. For 25 years, my parents led what they called a prayer and healing circle in their local Methodist church. And although energy work 
isn't necessarily part of that Christian tradition. There is the tradition of laying on of hands and of prayer. And when you think about it, not in just particular religious terms, but you think about, well, what's happening there, it parallels a lot with a lot of energy work. And energy work is such a vast category of different types of work with similar ideas, but there's so many different qualities and different ways to work with energy. But it's not surprising that people do it at a distance. And I guess for me growing up with that local Methodist church, it's, it's not surprising because people pray for each other all over the globe and totally expect something to happen. And sometimes the result happens before you actually say the prayer. So it's not a big shock just coming from that tradition. But coming back to, you said that Touch for Health, it is designed to, part of the touch and Touch for Health is to give people an atmosphere, a safe, respectful atmosphere where they can take advantage of the natural healing touch. We are social animals, and if we can be together in a group where we feel accepted and we feel like we have contact and we don't feel judged and criticized and attacked, we just feel like we belong and accepted, that is naturally very healing to the human being. So in our society, there are people who abuse touch, either for some violent purposes or for some misdirected sexual purpose, some exploitative purpose. So to protect people from that, which is a very valid desire, we kind of sometimes throw the baby out with the bathwater. We say you can abuse touch and you can do it the wrong way. So no touching. Right. So you really miss out on a huge part of what social animals need, which is togetherness and safe healing touch. So I definitely am a huge advocate even in this time when we have this great resource, whether it's because we have um, physical isolation because of COVID or just because people are all over the globe, it's wonderful that we can access each other and get in touch with each other, so to speak, over this technology of the internet and the video and so forth. But I still advocate, and I think in this day and age, because we are so isolated in a sense, in our social media world, but not physically together, we maybe have a greater need to get together physically and actually share some respectful touching. So I'm a huge advocate of let's actually get together physically and check each other's muscles and I can rub your points and you can rub my points or if it's uncomfortable, you can rub your own points or if that doesn't feel right, don't rub any points at all. You know, just be in full self-responsibility and make your choice of what feels right to you, but I'll support you in what feels right. But at the same time, if I just need to reach somebody who's all the way in South Africa and I, we just don't have the time for me to fly all the way there or the resources, the money, we just don't want to burn all that fossil fuel. It's great that we can also do most of this via some other form of communication rather than actually being physically in the room. And your question was, how does that work? And then my first answer is, well, let me just say how it works in practical terms. How do you do it? And then we can have a long philosophical conversation about why does that work? So for me, if we think about Touch for Health, we have something what we call the self-responsibility model because, as I mentioned earlier, Touch for Health specifically was meant to be some very simple tools, but based on very powerful principles in posture alignment, energy alignment, and also emotional balance, but that everybody, everyday people, without having to be a, 
a psychologist or a chiropractor, they can learn some of these principles and use them for themselves, with their family, with their friends, in an atmosphere of acceptance and always with permission. So it's not the model where I, I'm the authority and I'm going to analyze you, I'm going to figure out what's wrong with you, and now I'm going to fix you. It's a model of, hey, what's going on? Let's talk about it. Mm, let's see what we can do to get your energy flowing. Maybe I can hold these points on your forehead lightly. And those are points that George Goodhart said he discovered seem to relieve emotional stress. So I can just very gently support you and your emotional balance just by lightly holding these points on your forehead. Or if I can't be there with you, I can show you on the video how to hold your own points and you can hold your points for yourself. And as it turns out, everything that I can do as a supportive partner, as far as showing you how to put your arms through the range of motion, we can do that over the video. And I can show you my arms going up and down, and you can mirror me over the video and have almost the same experience. I think we do miss something when you don't have your friend in the room with you. It's another dimension. But we don't always have that luxury. So we can also still get a lot of benefit from going through all the same motions, even though we're at a distance. So I can't really reach through the video and rub those firm massage points, those neurolymphatic points between the ribs, but I can show you where they are and I can tell you what page they are in the book and you can look at them for yourself and you can rub them for yourself. There are some that are not as easy to reach, so maybe we just skip those, or maybe you get one of those massager canes and you can even reach to your back, reach some of those out of the way places and give them a little rub or a little scratch and then recheck how your muscles are feeling. And I've been really amazed. I've always known you could do it, but because I'm an advocate of people actually getting together physically in the flesh and supporting each other, because I think that's so helpful, I haven't put a big emphasis on doing balancing at a distance. But I've seen that not only does it get much the same benefits and results, in a way it's even more empowering because at no point do I push on your arm and I tell you, oh, you're strong, oh, you're weak, oh, that's good, oh, that's bad. My ability to be judgmental in the moment and authority and take over your process is almost completely eliminated. So all I can do is just kind of support you and coach you in your own process of self-assessment and self-balancing. And then you walk away having been totally tutored on how to balance yourself. So then you can just repeat the process whether I'm there or not. It might be fun to have a conversation ahead of time. And we'll talk about what's bothering you and what is your positive outlook? What is your positive goal? And then I can coach you through a session. But eventually you learn how to do all that stuff for yourself. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can circle it way back off of everything you just said, talking about these points that we can hold, these ESR emotional stress release points and how that can help release stress or over energy or too much resistance or whatever you want to call it so that we can come into a greater state of ease and uh, rest and digest. And um, maybe we could circle it back as we were talking about the kidney meridian and we can talk about perhaps the neurovascular point that's very simple that somebody could perhaps put on, uh, put their hand on the back of their head at that occipital protuberance, right? And just hold it there. And maybe, maybe if they feel like they are running a little bit of fear or anxiety, 
And during this time where there is a heightened collective experience for many people of fear and anxiety, we could offer up as they listen to this, some tools from the touch for health model, such as this point at the occipital protuberance or the ASR points that you just mentioned on the forehead or anything else that you think would help people um, as they listen to this and apply these techniques to their life to bring more peace. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for reminding me. That's kind of a central goal of Touch for Health, that however much or little we're doing, we always try to give people something that they can take away and use for themselves. That's how my father started with it, the things they were stealing from his practice and using for themselves. He said, oh, is that simple enough to use? Let's gather all those simple things that you can do for yourself and put them together in a book. And then people started using that and some of them became practitioners or they became chiropractors. And so there are professionals who do touch for health sessions as therapists, but our our emphasis is still, but even if you're doing therapy sessions, doing this energy balancing, this postural balancing, we're always trying to be educational and give some people some tools they can take away for self-care. So you mentioned a couple of things. You said the emotional stress release points, and you also said the neurovascular point at the back of the head related to kidney meridian that might be related to fear. So I guess the first way to approach that, to make it very simple, if you've never heard the word kinesiology, you don't know anything about muscle testing, any of this energy posture stuff, don't worry about any of that. We're just going to do something very simple, and you might call it energetic or you might call it vascular balancing, but it's something very simple exercise that you can do, and you can notice a change immediately in the moment. And now you have in your pocket another tool to help not only handle your emotions, uh, but also help balance your energy in the whole body. So the first thing you want to do is kind of take a measure. You mentioned at this time, a lot of us are feeling a lot of anxiety and fear for all kinds of reasons. Maybe the pandemic and its ups and downs and how it's getting more in one country and now it's mutating. That might be one of our main sources of ongoing anxiety or even, you know, overwhelming fear or other, some other issue of fear. So whatever that might be, or even if it's another emotion that you're feeling, just notice what is that emotion. And think, how is that you know that you have that emotion? You know, you say fear and you tune in and you say, yes, I do have some fear. Well, how do you know you have fear? Where is it? What do you feel and where do you feel it? Do you locate it at a particular place in your body? And is it some particular sensation? In my experience, it's just, I'm not saying this is the full definition of an emotion, but a lot of the time for me, it seems like an emotion is an idea together with a physical sensation. The sensation and the meaning, that's an emotion. So if you have this idea of fear and you tune into where the feeling is, what is the sensation? Like for me right now, I start to tune into this worldwide scary stuff going on. I do actually feel something a little bit in my gut. Mm -hmm. So just tune into that and, you know, maybe even notice your breathing or just remember that to be breathing, to breathe. That's always good to keep breathing. That's one of those things. You need that life energy of the breath if you want to keep living. 
And then you notice that sensation related to the emotion or just however much you feel the emotion and then put a number on it. 10 would be the maximum sensation of emotion, the emotion and zero would be no sensation of the emotion. So we put a measure on it. So we'll be able to notice if anything changes. We kind of tune into it. So we get a real vivid sensation of the emotion, the physical sensation, and then even put a number on it. Then what, as you suggested, we can go to that neurovascular point. So you can put your whole, the whole palm of your hand, just kind of near the, just above the base of your skull, just over that whole area. And we associate that area of the skull. There's a reflex point kind of dead center on the palm of your hand at the back of your head that we associate with kidney meridian. So by just actually very lightly holding that area, and then just tuning into that area and see if you feel anything there. If you really zero in on the center of that area with the pads of your fingertips, you might even feel a little pulsation there. But it's effective. The idea is that it actually balances vascular flow at the, at the micro level, at the superficial level, the flow in the vascular system. But also that's of course tied into your life energy system. But whether you feel a pulsation or not, just tune into it and see what you notice. What do you feel? Some kind of sensation. You may feel something, you may not. And in just that long in the time I've been talking, usually 20 or 30 seconds, you may notice some sensation, but you might also notice a change in how you're feeling. So you might take your hand away and tune back into whatever area of your body where you felt it. For me, now I'm feeling shoulders opening a little bit more. And that feeling in the gut, maybe it had something to do with what I had for lunch, or maybe it had to do with the fear or both things together. That one, even though I'm feeling my shoulders opening a little bit, the, the one or two in my gut, I'm still feeling it still about the same. So I'm going to go to the other thing that Diane mentioned, which is um, the particular points in Touch for Health that we especially relate to, in general, emotional stress release. And I'll define emotional stress right now as meaning that when we notice that we're having an emotion, or even if we don't notice it, but we feel an emotion, we go into a stress response. And a stress response is an actual physiological response in the body. The blood leaves the core and it goes out to the limbs or maybe to the face so that you're ready to either fight for your life or run away to save yourself. So that's known as the fight flight response and is a well-known physiological response. And when you're having fear and anxiety, there's a tendency. You may not go into full blown fight flight, but the blood starts to leave the core and it goes out into the limbs and your higher order thinking skills start to shut down and you go into automatic reactions on an emotional basis. And I'm not sure exactly why these points are so effective. We've just observed over 50 years they are effective. If you hold with the pads of your fingers just very lightly on your forehead, halfway between the eyes and the hairline, and just very lightly with enough pressure that you could tug the skin, but then just hold there. And then just notice how you're feeling. If you're feeling that emotion, go ahead and tune into the emotion because the idea now by holding these points, it helps relieve the stress related to the emotion so that you're able to experience emotion 
Notice the emotion you're feeling and whatever meaning it has to you, but bring you out of the stress response so that actually now your blood is coming back to the center. Maybe it's coming back to the gut so that you can process what you had for lunch or you can process those emotions. So a little bit ironically, we sometimes think the way to deal with emotions is just to stuff them down in our gut and forget about them. And that's the way to overpower the emotions. But actually, that's the idea of feelings alive never die, which is a book you might want to look up sometime. But if we hold these points, it helps to take the stress off. We get us out of fight flight. And we can actually get in touch with those emotions. And that actually helps resolve them. So we're not stuck in that emotion. We don't have that emotion kind of collected inside of us, causing a block in our energy flow. So, and even less than the time it took me to give that little explanation, 20 or 30 seconds holding that point, you often notice a shift in your energy. But you might hold those points thinking about an emotion, thinking about a stressful situation, walking through the stressful story, either from the past or maybe something you're anticipating in the future. So you can hold those points as you think about whatever stressful situation or story is causing you stress in the body, causing you to go into a fight-flight reaction, to bring all that fight-flight reaction out of it and bring you back into your center where you can calmly contemplate, well, how do I want to creatively respond to this situation? Bringing back the blood back to the forebrain, all of our higher order thinking. So it's not reaction to situations, but it's creative choice in how I want to respond to situations from a calm, centered place, a calm, centered emotional space and a calm, centered energetic space. Hmm. This is a bit out there, but as you're talking, and thank you for that, Matthew, that was fantastic. And I'm certain as people listen to this, they'll uh, get a lot of benefit from that explanation. Um, but as you're talking and you're mentioning, particularly the ESR point at the forehead, uh, it makes me think about this uh, science that they've discovered where they're talking about um, inserting chips you know, into people to utilize. Yes, they could use them for bad, but let's keep it positive and let's say they'll use it for good uh, where they can put these devices. And by the way, I'm not saying I'm pro or for, uh, against either of them, just putting this out there that these things are coming. And these doctors have studied where is the best place to put these technologies in the body. And they decided or they found that the two best places are the places where there's the greatest fluctuation in temperature. And those places happen to be the space between the thumb and the first finger in the web of the hand and the forehead. And I don't know if there's any relation, but that's where my brain goes when I think about those, uh, particularly the ESR generalized point that we use in Touch for Health. And we are stimulating, like you say, regulating that microvascular uh, circulation, that's that microcirculation, that microvascular system. And perhaps, perhaps we are regulating the temperature control, or like you say in your book, this somewhat, this internal thermostat 
so that we can become more regulated beings using our innate capacity to do so. I'm just pontificating. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, what that reminds me of is, um, you know, we, the, we've had a Touch for Health Association since 1973, and we get together every year and we share what everybody's doing. And in the early days, we were just talking about all the simple basic things like emotional stress release and how do you do a muscle test. But as the years went on, there are all this whole ABCs of kinesiology, wellness kinesiology, and AK, applied kinesiology, and BK is, could be various different ones that start with a B. And so at those conferences, you see kind of the unifying factor is people who are using some muscle response testing in their work. And a lot of the time, also, they're using the, the energy model. And so might call it energy kinesiology. So those are the kind of the unifying factors, using muscles and energy model. So sometimes at the conferences, you see people with different types of chips, different types of technology, not necessarily that the chip would be implanted, but that there's all kinds of different ways to figure out, well, where is the best place to tape that chip on the body to get that, download that program, so to speak, that's going to balance whatever is going on with the energy. Or a lot of people have different computer systems that you hold the, the two bars and somehow electrically or energetically, it can read what's going on with your energy. And then as you hold it, it can do some kind of electrical stimulation to give you some kind of balance to the energy. So it's kind of fascinating, all the different technology that's out there. But I'm kind of old school and because not everybody can have a machine at their fingertips at all times, as great as those machines may be, I, like you said, I don't know. They might be wonderful, and at a certain point, they may be the best thing. But for by and large, for the greatest amount of people, the technology I mainly emphasize is the technology of just using your own hands, yeah. the hands of your partner, or the, your own hands on your own self, and what can we do with that? But thinking about, okay, there's a chip, and what does it do? And how does that kind of, what they figured out scientifically with the chip and where they would put the chip, how does that correspond to what we're already doing or what we might decide to do? If they say, well, the best place to put the chip is on the outside of the outer edge of the eyebrow and hold that point. And I say, oh, okay, well, why is that? Well, they say, maybe it's temperature fluctuation or whatever the, the measurement that they made, their hypothesis, why that's the best place. But I might say, oh, but that corresponds for me in Chinese medicine, it's a gallbladder point. So I might wanna work holding that point for the same reasons they would use. I might not have a chip handy, but I can just use the tips of my fingers and lightly hold that point. And I can think about, well, okay, if it's a gallbladder point and I'm working with gallbladder, what are all the other factors with gallbladder? Maybe I'll check the muscles related to gallbladder. And I might use all kinds of other points to balance those muscles. Or maybe I'll trace the whole meridian pathway of gallbladder, not just the one point, but I'll trace the whole energy pathway. So even though I don't have the chip handy, if I have the idea of how and why they're applying it, that might be give me some ideas of what I can do based on their scientific understanding, their learning. So I can steal some of their information and still just use this basic technology of my hands. Hmm. Great positive um, interpretation of what many people may be concerned about as being something 
not so positive. And, and then that's a whole other discourse and conversation. But something to be said, to your point, for the simplicity of utilizing this great gift we call the human body, the human form, the human consciousness, all of it that is right, literally, no pun intended, at our fingertips. And we don't have to reach for anything outside of ourselves. We can literally take the power of our own healing hands and place it on that part of the body that corresponds with that particular area that it serves to balance. And we can receive direct healing, like we are that powerful. So back to that vitalistic approach that um, I find incredibly empowering. And I hope that as we move forward uh, in humanity, that we are all moving collectively to that awakening, that we can truly heal ourselves and the power of connection and the need of that biofeedback of human um, interaction and connectivity and touch. So Matthew, you are a gem. I just, uh, I could talk to you forever. And um, could you tell us where we could find you really quickly, your website and any upcoming events that are going on in the Touch for Health world that might interest people listening? Yeah, so my website, if you wanted to see what I'm up to, and it does have a little bit of information and links to other resources in the world of energetic kinesiology. So my website is touchforhealth.com. But the word four is just a number four. So it's T-O-U-C-H, the number four, health, H-E-A-L-T-H dot com. So that's to find out what I'm up to. Over the summer, I'm going to be redoing my whole website. Right now, it's a little bit old school. And because of COVID, I've right at the moment, I don't have anything scheduled of my individual classes. But um, just recently, the Kinesiology Federation in England was celebrating their 30th anniversary. So that's the federation of all the people doing different types of muscle testing system, but mostly integrating that energetic model and different reflex points. And they've been doing that for 30 years in England. So in their 30 year celebration, their theme was pearls of wisdom. So if you do an internet search for on YouTube for Kinesiology Federation Pearls of Wisdom. If you enjoyed this interview, there's a whole series of more interviews. And I'm not sure if it's up there yet, but there's an interview that I did as well. And I shared several pearls of wisdom from George Goodhart, from my father, John Thee, who developed Touch for Health, and from others, and a few pure pearls that I've actually managed to develop over my time of learning and sharing this work. And on that same theme, um, there's a kinesiology platform out of um, Italy. And it's, um, first of all, it's kind of an international database of all the information you might want to know. Where are all these points in acupuncture? What are all these muscles we might want to test? All the ways to balance them. And the platform is called Nolative. So it's K-N-O-W, like no, and then Lativ, L-A-T-I-V, you can check that out. And they just finished this last weekend, their second international online conference, and I was one of the speakers on the conference, and their theme was roots and innervation in muscle response testing. So they're using the term muscle response testing as kind of the unifying concept. And so 
Um, that's a conference that just happened on that theme. And my topic was uh, Roots, Essence, and Innovation in 2021. I talked a little bit about the history, a little bit more than I shared on here, and a little bit more geared to people who are familiar with the muscle testing and energy balancing. And then now coming up in June, it, the, our national association, the Touch for Health Kinesiology Association, is having their 47th annual consecutive Touch for Health conference. And, but of course, because of COVID, last year we went online and we had an online conference. And this year we're going online and it's a little bit more international because we're in the same time zone as all these Spanish speaking countries. So we'll be doing it a little bit English, but some Spanish with English translation, some English with Spanish translation. So it'll be a little bit more widely available. But to find that information about that conference, uh, you want to go to uh, touchforhealth.us. And that is actually spelled out, the three words, touch for health. The four is actually spelled out, F-O-R. So touchforhealth.us, like United States. If you go onto that website, you can find out a lot about um, all the different instructors throughout the country who are teaching this particular program of Touch for Health. And most of them are practitioners, so if you wanted to get a session, you could call them up and have a session. Or if you wanted to learn the techniques, you could go to either an in-person session or uh, nowadays a lot of them are teaching online, so you can ask them when is their next online class. But just to close, the theme of the upcoming conference in June of the Touch for Health Association is Legacy of Light. So since we've been around 47 years, uh, we have a long legacy of all the wisdom, the pearls of wisdom that have been passed down and all of the different innovations and the things that we have received from our elders, whether you talk about the 5,000 years of Chinese medicine and that great deep wisdom, or the 50 years of applied kinesiology, muscle testing, and integrating energy work with the body balancing. And then what is it that's most important in that to preserve and pass on to future generations? So that's what I'll be talking about. Um, the, basically, the, the main theme of the conference, I'll be talking a little bit about the history of Touch for Health, but what I think is the legacy that's worthwhile preserving and passing on. So in brief, for me, I think being able to test the physical muscles and the posture, that's something I forgot to mention earlier when I'm talking about this broad um, field of energy work, sometimes it gets a little bit undefined. It gets a little bit woo-woo. Some people are kind of have a psychic ability to feel energy, to sense energy, to see energy, but sometimes they have a hard time communicating that to other people in a way that the other people can take on, understand, and and really get the value of it. So over the years, we've found that actually working with the physical muscles is a very great resource for people who are energy workers in order to kind of ground their work in the physical body and be able to communicate to other people that they can feel in a different way, in a physical way, what they're sensing on an energetic level. And it's kind of a marriage of those two things, the physical balancing and the postural balancing. So I'm a big advocate of not only doing some muscle response testing to indicate what's the emotion that might be involved, what might be happening with the energy, but actually involve, you know, we test up to 42 muscles in Touch for Health, but at least a set of 
14 basic important postural muscles to give you an idea of the, the functions in the 14 major energy pathways that we look at from Chinese medicine, which are the main pathways in acupuncture. So that's one of the things that use the muscles to give you both a way to balance and a way to indicate what's going on with the energy. And the other thing is, because we started out Touch for Health as a way for uh, lay people to do self-care, we had to do it in a respectful way and not try to be authoritarian with them. Because if it's two lay people working together, one can't diagnose the other's disease. So we flip it to a model of supporting the person in their self-care. And that's to keep people out of trying to do medicine without learning, without really the background and the license the appropriate information to try to make medical diagnosis. But as it turns out, when we do it that way, when we're, we show up with respect, you can expect a good effect. Yes. And so just by respectfully supporting the person in their own self-awareness and their own self-balance, it turns out that self-responsibility model isn't just keeping us safe in a scope of practice out of the medical model. It's actually super empowering for the person. And when they feel empowered in that way, it leads to almost to an automatic transformation, an automatic shift of their energy in the direction of the unfolding of what is kind of their inner essence, their true self. And they're kind of automatically discovering what is the path for them in life that, in which they all naturally thrive and find uh, a purpose and meaning and so deep satisfaction in life. Brilliant. Well, Matthew, thank you for your wisdom, your knowledge, your expertise, and I must say your legacy. <laughs> it is a legacy. And you've been doing this a long time. You grew up with this, watching your dad do this. And um, I don't want to... Uh, uh, be an ageist here, but uh, you've been doing this a long, long time, um, many decades, and it shows. And I'm really grateful to have you as a teacher, and I'm really grateful to have you on the show to share your wisdom. So thanks a million for everything. Well, thanks, Diane. I really enjoyed geeking out with you. <laughs> There's actually a magazine I didn't mention, but it's available yeah. on that Nolative platform. It's called Kinesio Geek. Perfect. Uh, but I think I think if you just Google Kinesio Geek, you might be able to find that magazine, a link to it, and all kinds of articles along this same kind of spiritual geekery and Kinesio Geekery. Perfect for our listeners. So, way to end it. Thanks so much, and you know I'll be seeing you soon. All right. See you later, Diane. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.